0: Hi, dear listener, Zach here. I'm proud of the work we did on Call of Discovery and KeyForge Public Radio. And last year, I took my love of podcasts full time with my company, Rooster High Productions. If you know someone with a business who wants to broadcast their expertise through podcasts and derived social media marketing, send them my way to Zach at RoosterHigh Thank you so much. Hello, dear listeners. This is Zach with a quick pre-episode note. We recorded this episode. Uh, with former FFG employee Ryan Thompson before the news about Ghost Galaxy was released. So just listen to the episode with that in mind. We think it's still a fantastic amount of information about, uh, at this point, the history of Keyforge at FFG, where the game has been, what things were like there from uh, the particular perspective of Ryan. Uh, With that said, we hope so much that you enjoy this interview uh, with someone quite close to Keyforge during its time there. So without further ado, the episode.
1: Hello and welcome to Call of Discovery, the podcast where we invite you to celebrate all things Keyforge, its community, and the excitement of discovery. Also, exciting is the fact we're back out of retirement for another podcast. This is great. Uh, I am your co host, Ed Pocock, and I am joined, as always, by the Superman from across the ocean. It is Zach Armstrong. How are you, Zach?
0: Hello there, Ed. I'm doing well. I'm doing well. It's good to uh, hear your voice again for our little uh, one-of-quick-back uh, episode.
1: It's, uh, it's also delightful to hear your dulcet tones. But we are not alone today, are we, Zach? Who do we have joining us?
0: Yes. So uh, today we are interviewing Ryan Thompson, who's a former employee on the Fantasy Flight Games marketing team. Ryan has personal experience with uh, many of the changes that happened during his time at the company from when he started as an associate in 2011 uh, to when he left the company 10 years later as lead content creator, the only member of the video content team at FFG. His time at the company includes the loss of the Keyforge algorithm, among uh, many other FFG assets in the same incident. So our topic today, though, is specifically uh, Ryan's experience and all of the changes that happened during his time. Uh, What our topic isn't is the specifics of what's going on at Day, PAI Partners, Embracer Group, uh, or even the experiences of other FFG employees. Ryan's experiences may connect to those things, uh, but they are distinct, so we want to be clear about that. But then, of course, the other side of this exact same coin is that hearing from Ryan about his experience uh, has value, which is why he's here with us today. Uh, there can be multiple sides to stories, of course, but Ryan's experience is his to share, yours to make up your mind about, uh, and from our communications with him. Of course, we wouldn't bring uh, him on here if we thought uh, he was just going to lie to us about everything. So uh, we're we're excited to, to get to talk to him today. So uh, without further ado, Ryan, uh, thank you so much for calling, coming on Call of Discovery.
2: Ah, thank you very much, Zach and Ed. It's uh, thank you for inviting me. Like this is, I'm so used to being on the other end of this deal. <laughs>
0: <laughs> As someone who was uh, also in marketing and, and production before this podcast, it is a it is a strange feeling to jump uh, jump on this side. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah. Yes.
1: Uh, Ryan, I think there you probably got an even longer intro than Richard Garfield got. So uh, I think I think that's a that's an accolade if ever there was one. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, yeah, but my my intro is all caveats to what I can and can't say. So. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, Richard yeah. just says things. <laughs> I don't. I don't
0: have to couch what Richard Garfield says. We just. We just set him afoot in the fields of conversation. This is a little of us more. Who were
2: in marketing at FFG sit there and go, oh, Richard, why did you say that?" Right. <laughs> <laughs>
0: oh, oh man. Oh man. Uh, this is yeah for for sure. I'm, I'm sure a, several of us and our listeners can think of several moments where that may have uh, that may have happened exactly. So, uh, but, uh, our topic of course is uh, your experience at FFG. Um, we can touch on the, the algorithm a, a little bit later. Um, but, uh, the, the first question we wanted to ask is what was the, the work and management culture like when you started at FFG?
2: <clears throat> oh, that's a great question. Uh, when I first started, the company was very small. So I think even including all the warehouse people, there were only 70 of us. Oh, wow. Um, And then I was brought on as the third video producer on a department of three. And like my first project was actually I illustrated all the penguins for Hey, That's My Fish iOS. At that time, the media and interactive department was only four people. There was a single coder, um, two of us making video production and our boss. Uh, So at that time, it was very family uh, the, like, like a tiny little family. We would hang out and go to barbecues and dinner and, and everything like that. And then, and then as the company grew, um, you know, you start getting a lot of the, the managers coming in who were just uh, numbers sp- specific, you know, keeping track on spreadsheets and analytics and stuff like that. And that's where I started to get lost. Cause like, I just make pretty things. And by the time I, I left, um, which was right in the middle of COVID, I was actually the only person left in the office because I was managing the film set at that point. So that last year of employment with Asmodee and Fantasy Flight, I, I was kind of alone. I All of my interaction with managers was via Skype calls and team meetings.
0: Hmm. And that, uh, that set, that's the FFG live set, I assume, where we've seen live streams happen before?
2: Yep, I was... Uh, I was the guy who started that all the way back with the very first game of Thrones world championships in like 2012. And then as the film technology, we would get a larger budget all the way up into the FFG live sets. That was all me behind the scenes along with like Evan Johnson and Derek Shuck uh, being the hosts. And then uh, all of us in February, 2020 Derek and Derek and, left shortly thereafter uh evan left and then in 2021 i then left but Mm. that 2020 to 2021 that was the height of COVID, and that was when ffg live went on hiatus
1: a very challenging challenging year yeah very challenging year
0: so you talked about ffg starting as very much a family feel company very small and i think the the question that many people who would listen to this podcast would would ask about uh where changes may or may not have come from is did the acquisition by asthma Day or the acquisition by um of asthma day by p a i uh p a i partners did that cause changes uh, to the work culture that you experienced
2: that is an emphatic yes <laughs> um so For the first year, I believe the original acquisition was in 2014 Uh, for Asmodee merging with, it was, it was produced, it was, uh, it was presented to us as a merger. And for the first year, Asmodee and I believe that was Eurasio was the original purchaser. They just sat back and let us do our thing. And it was it was all good. So for 2014 it still had that small feel. And then after a year of them checking sales figures, numbers, printing, basically everything that would go into making board games, that's when the changes started happening. And you we started getting a lot more like middle managers coming in. So you ended up having beforehand it was myself, my boss, the CEO. And then it went myself, my boss, my boss's boss, his boss, then the CEO. So there were a lot more steps in creating video content. And that was across the board from the 3D sculpture sculptors to the uh, card game designers, the board game designers, uh, marketing people. Um, everybody got like three extra steps added in there. So there was a very, very large change, and it was very noticeable within the company.
0: Sure. And uh, as as those changes happened, uh, I know myself, I'm employed by a big company, so I'm familiar with the bosses, bosses, bosses concept generally, right? Um, but were uh, a few of the actions taken by uh, the company or inactions or policies, uh, which one of those came around that uh, you had a reaction to?
2: It didn't touch us very hard in for any negatives right out of the gate for like initiatives going forward with what was presented to the people hmm. uh asmodee and pa uh as Yuraz- i don't think it was your i think it was all asmodee they really want to push for inclusion so that's sort of the point where you see netrunner all of a sudden gathering uh you know indian women as runners and um lgbtq uh characters showing up in the game we were really adding a lot of inclusion now on the video and graphic side for marketing that was great we got to add it in i can't speak to what they stepped for in like game production um just cuz i don't remember cuz we're talking about like 8 years ago now so um i know there were some very large pushbacks to the art department for like the art that would go on cards and that became very difficult for them, and and there were employees who left because of those difficulties.
1: So, so Ryan, ac- across to to KeyForge, the development process of KeyForge, um, yeah. How? When did you first learn about KeyForge as a concept that it was being developed? Um, what did you think, and uh, how did KeyForge interact with this new FFG?
2: That's a good question. So KeyForge. Came out, I believe, and correct me if I'm wrong, in 2018, but they were working on it in late, either late 2016, t- say November, December, or early 2017. And its original pitch, it was called Technic. We ended up actually going through about four different names before they decided on Keyforge. And I think a lot of it was just down to, we had some great names, but like Technic is a is a property of a toy manufacturer that I don't want to say for fear of copyright infringement. <laughs> uh,
1: yeah, yeah, I I, uh, I remember it well from my childhood. <laughs> yep, <laughs>
2: you know what I'm talking about. And I think it had two other names before we had to go with KeyForge because it was the only one that had a global allowance for a, a, a naming without having to deal with copyright issues.
1: It's um, a great name. It's a, a really great name.
2: I like it. It's unique. Um, at first, a lot of us were like, that seems kind of weird. And then it's just grown on us or grown <laughs> at the time it grew on us. And it was pretty fantastic. Uh, the original concept art, a lot of, lot of differences uh, on those original core concepts. That was at the time I was working with the art department a little bit. Um, I was friends with an artist named Taylor Ingevertson who has now gone on to magic. He works for Magic the Gathering. Um, but he, he liked to ask me questions, um, on the art cause I'm opinionated. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, and I, some of the artwork and factions they were coming up with were like mind boggling. I wish they would release an art book and go back to some of that. Cause it's, it's fantastic.
1: Uh, there is an art book, but it's mainly, if not entirely, I think released cards, which, which is a shame. It's uh it's interesting to sort of, Put the hood off on the engine and actually have a rummage around and see 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 what see what nearly got made the multiverse of keyforge yeah
2: <laughs> yeah the concept art for how keys used to look to what they turned into to how the faction cards were laid out to what it turned into a lot of considerations because of asmodee and uh, were put into very specific color codes for the key you know blue yellow red they have to be very specific for. Colorblind people and and lots of it was put in there, uh, which is standard across most board game companies now to this point. But then, uh, I was part of the original testing, even though I was in marketing and making the videos. Um, a lot of the employees, we would sit down with the paper. I'm not sure if you're familiar with paper cutout versions of games. So they'll literally just print the words on a piece of sheet paper. And then oh, yes. you have to Absolutely. try and shuffle that. Yeah, and we'd play yeah, the game. I've seen before. that on testing before. Yeah, so that's usually how every game at FFG starts. Um, we'll play test it a little bit, get things working, and then they'll move forward to using the in house printers and they'll print demo cards.
1: And that must be such an exciting step when you first see what those cards might look like with some uh, early art or something.
2: It's pretty fantastic. The artwork is usually by that point finalized. It's the graphic design that isn't. Mm. So you might have uh, Brobnar uh, as the, you know, all the characters complete for the artwork, but they're they're not living in proper graphic design frames and anything. So you have this white card with just the artwork and then it says the text of what it's supposed to do. Because it was pretty late in the process before they even finalized what an Amber Shard looked like. Wow! wow. Uh, Yeah, there were. I know it was yellow. I think yellow the whole time, but I think they were going back and forth on the shape of it.
1: Yeah, that which 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 makes which makes sense. I mean, uh, yeah, it it just it's a classic now, isn't it? It's it's a classic. It couldn't look any other way, Um, but. Did that process at all of how a game was made and, and how employees would interact with and test that game did that change much as as uh, FFG got uh, bigger and bigger and sort of part, part of a wider and wider uh, network of biz- businesses?
2: Yes, so KeyForge would have been let's say that oh man it would have been part of our, our newer the newer play test ideas at the time i'm not sure if you guys were fans of mansions of madness but there was an expansion for that called the laboratory and it was not properly test printed and it had to be Mm. recalled oh wow and that because it was like there were missions that said use tile 1a and use tile 1b well they're printed on the back of each other so (laughs) you Um, couldn't use both um, But I think that's 2015, and then those ended up coming into Keyforge, and then things were getting caught, because Keyforge was all of a sudden very unique with how it had to be printed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, So they had to create a new standard for printing sheets to verify so that algorithm would function and cut those cards out correctly, so the decks would work right. <clears throat> so there were changes behind the scenes. I don't know the numbers behind it, but I do know they, they really played a lot with with how those cutters were working in-house. And then all of that information would go over to the printers in China. Hmm.
0: So that's uh, lots of custom processes, even with how a computer is talking to the printer and the cutter that gets the, the cards turned into a deck. Is that right?
2: Yeah, I tried wrapping my head around it. One of my, uh, to this day, close friends who used to work uh, at Fantasy Flight was the head of the production, or not the head of, but lead production guy, and he would fly to China and be there for like three months out of the year. Oh, wow. help function with the the paper manufacturers and the cutters and stuff like that. And he tried explaining it to me, and I'm like, I'm not smart enough for this dude. <laughs>
0: And, Ryan, you've stated elsewhere that the major loss of data at FFG, which included the Keyforge algorithm made in FileMaker, was due to a ransomware attack at the end of 2020, and that backups did exist and were affected. Uh, what was it like for yourself and the teams you worked with to go through uh, that ransomware attack?
2: Yeah, so I'm a big fan and proponent of transparency, especially in cases of ransomware attacks. Like, they're so common at this point um i just think it's easier to own up that hey this happened and we're trying to fix it um the ransomware effect ransomware attack did happen at the end of 2020 i believe in november and a lot of us working through the server via vpn into the server um were suddenly not able to get access to a lot of data uh projects that we were working on we'd have to wait 30 minutes for a download sometimes 15 minutes just for a file to open and we couldn't quite figure out what was going on Uh, but the company left a lot of even the employees in the dark Um, it was not shared with us what happened so then you roll into 2021 and you know COVID had been happening for a year at that point and I was one of the few people working in the office at that point because the company took the opportunity while everybody was working from home to remodel the office It needed new carpet and they wanted to redo the cubicles and stuff like that. Plus the film set actually had to move. So FFG live film was in a different building and we brought it to our building Mm. and put it in what was our old training room. So at that point in time, the only people in the building were myself because I was rebuilding the FFG live sets and the IT guys. And, uh, I started just asking questions. I'm like, this seems odd. And just asked I, the head of the it at the time is like, we got ransomware. Didn't, didn't we? And he's like, ah, uh, yeah, probably. And just kind of walked away. And then I had to ask another it guy. He's like, yeah, you're not supposed to know about that. <laughs> My goodness. So, so the company was kind of hush, hush, but I was like, come on guys, just be open about it. And they didn't say anything. And that was when I started digging into my back catalog of all the video production I've been making. And that's when I realized the marketing servers, the ransomware had crossed or there was a bug or there was a non-talk issue between the standard server and the backup servers. So the marketing department lost approximately six years of marketing work. Um, Mm -hmm. And then I started pestering my friends in the other departments, like uh MJ and and Caleb. And uh, you know, they're like, Oh, we're gonna look into that. And then we started realizing that source files were gone and not accessible. And that's when a lot of employees really started to be like, What is going on? Why can't we get these things? Um and that's when the company still never told anybody in the company what happened. Perhaps they did after I left in April of 2021. Um, but up until that point, it was the top down. It was hush hush. This didn't happen even to the employees in the company.
0: My goodness. So it it sounds like it sounds like the 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 negative effects were, were apparent to to you, even just as you tried to do your your day to day job. Is that correct?
2: that's very correct. I think the I think the upper management was just really embarrassed. Um, it's a lot of a lot of older uh, older people, um, 40s, 50s, a couple boomers in there and I think they were just embarrassed and they didn't know how to really deal with it and you know those of us that are younger dealt with computers for long enough, hey man, these things happen. Like it just it happens.
1: It's it's sad though. It's really sad to hear about all of that creativity and all those potential things that we could have seen um, that we, we maybe won't see.
2: Yeah, because in the case of most games, now Keyforge and any LCG in particular, the sets are usually being worked on four or five generations beyond what is being released. So I left right as Dark Tidings was coming out, and they were working three sets beyond that. Um, And I think they were in paper prototype for set four beyond that. So a lot of those files, like set four, I believe was completely lost because that was all internal, but like set five, the set after Dark Tidings, I believe that was all in PDF and at printers waiting for the trigger to pull. So they were able to get at least that stuff back, but like original Photoshop, Illustrator, InDesign files unless an employee had it saved on their computer, I could very much say that it probably disappeared.
0: Wow. My goodness. My goodness. That is a lot of work to make up.
2: Yeah. I will caveat that with, I was, again, I was in the media department, marketing department, (laughs) and uh, I am 99% sure that this is the case, but not a hundred percent sure. So by all means, huge grain of salt, take whatever I'm saying, you know,
0: of course, of course. I think it can be the 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 fair summary without worrying too much about specifics of, you know, what set did or get didn't get affected is that uh it's it's affected the work of uh especially your coworkers and just the the designers all the everyday people at FFG had their work uh, majorly affected. Uh, yeah, any, in a lot anything of ways. That
2: wasn't, yeah. Sorry to cut you off there. Anything that wasn't on a personal computer, and it literally touched every department, so yeah. the three d modelers working on Star Wars assets to the 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 board game designers working on you know the outer rim expansion at the time um the mansions of madness people it literally hit every single one, which is why you saw such a huge slowdown in, at fantasy flight and Asbury properties is because it they got nailed and it was a mad scramble to get everything back from pdf designs at the printers so they could rebuild a lot of it
1: it must have been just so difficult for absolutely everyone that had been involved in creating producing everyone involved in that whole asthma day sorry ffg machine to to deal with to come to terms with the fact that maybe maybe they'd lost a lot of the things that they they'd sort of poured their their creative energy into over a long period of time
2: Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, there were a lot of, there were a lot of heads down on desks I imagine with like, Oh, what am I going to do? But at the end of the day, I think even though they were kind of radio silent to the employees, we didn't get put upon to like double down and make a whole bunch of stuff. Hmm. Um, so it didn't, it didn't turn into a nightmare of all the employees are suddenly like at fault for some weird reason. It, it, that never happened. Um, the biggest complaint was the the biggest complaint that I had. And a lot of my fellow coworkers had was just the radio silence. Like he should have announced this to the world. He should have announced it to the employees, especially if like, I don't know how, it, how we got ransomware. I mean, as somebody who's in it security, um, it's usually somebody clicking a link, right? Uh,
1: it could be. It could be any number of things. I think it would be be probably wrong to to speculate here, but it is. It isn't that common that all of the data is irretrievable. So it's a it, it's a real shame. It's a real shame in this case that that it was, um, and that you know it could have been that there was nothing the company could have done to retrieve that data. So. Yeah, it just it just adds to the sadness of it all um, that uh, you know, there are criminals out there that will go to such lengths to to kind of cause such pain to people, and in, yeah. in this instance, it's not just the company but the entire communities that really thrive off and uh, you know the, the existence of these games because FFG is responsible for so many of the the, the best <laughs> tabletop games of the past fifteen years.
2: Yeah, and I really wish I would know. I was never able to glean this information, even though I asked if we paid the ransom or if because the FileMaker server we were on, they had their own backdoors. the IT department to get in. If they went in and was like, none of this is retrievable, even if we pay the ransom. I, I wish I knew the answer to that one because I'm it's like a burning curiosity question for me. Hmm. <laughs> it's like, how much did they want? <laughs> was just, um, and it sucks. But everything's coming back uh it looks like pretty quick like i said i'm still i'm still friends with most of those people we still have board game nights at my house monthly so
1: so a a hint of positivity for the long term there then as sort of everyone bounced back and with renewed vigor and is creating exciting things for the future of ffg
2: i would highly doubt i'm just gonna start with keyforge i would highly doubt that keyforge is dead Every don't like I can't confirm this. Um, I've not worked there for a year, so I am very out of the loop. But everybody liked working on it. It was an internal IP, which meant we weren't paying anybody for it. Mm -hmm. And it was easy to make, has very good profit margins, and the designers liked the idea that they didn't have to follow the rules from set to set. They could literally invent anything they wanted to. So I would assume the slowdown right now is they're currently rebuilding the databases. They probably have a a new algorithm rebuilt. But I can tell you with 100% certainty that your problem right now is manufacturing and paper. Hmm. Um. I believe it was Pokemon. So paper used in card games like Pokemon, Magic, the LCGs, Keyforge. I believe is like a, a specific compound and core. And I overheard some friends talking that uh, Pokemon found like a German manufacturer and this German manufacturer in the height of COVID here was, did the whole bunch of work. And was able to, like, hey, we can finally make your cards, Pokemon. And Pokemon's, that's great. Here's, we're buying your entire company, and now you work exclusively for us. Oh, Um, wow. So, Uh... like, yeah, Pokemon literally owns some paper manufacturer, and they have a two-year exclusive now. And I think that paper manufacturer even helped a certain other very large card game called Magic. (laughs) But I can't verify on that one. I. I think a lot of your Kickstarters, even the big companies, Asmodee, FFG, uh, Calliope, AEG, Yellow, like I think they're all just hit because paper manufacturers, why should they make fancy paper when they can make double the profit making toilet paper?
0: Right, right. Yeah, you, you already covered Magic. You don't have to... Oh, no, sorry. <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh, shots fired. Shots fired. No, no but it, it does underline... Actually that even at a time when yeah i'm aware some of these the largest uh the largest entities out there in this space the the magics and the pokemon are struggling to get product into people's hands it underlines the challenge for folk, the folks at fantasy flight games that want to create you know a diverse range of experiences for different players um and maybe don't quite have the same clout as a pokemon or a Magic the Gathering that can just buy up their own supply chains when, when the going gets tough.
2: Yeah, Fantasy Flight is large, but it's uh it is not Yu-Gi-Oh, it is not Pokemon, it is not Magic. It can't compete. Those card games I think a big the biggest part of it, this is a personal opinion, I think the reason the Fantasy Flight games aren't bigger is cause an ethos at Fantasy Flight Games is Games are supposed to be fun, and buying a win with your ten thousand dollar inheritance isn't fun. Um, deck building properly is fun, uh, or playing KeyForge where you have to play this deck you bought is fun. Um, and you know they'll have prize support, but the the idea of a fifty thousand dollar cash prize pool is just not part of Fantasy Flight's ethos in any way, shape, or form.
0: Hmm. How much familiarity and uh, asking this, because I know half the people listening to this will immediately go, but Vault Warrior, uh, did you touch on Vault Warrior uh, at all during your time there? Because as soon as you say a cash prize is not a part of the ethos, my mind immediately goes to uh, the $250,000 advertised as a
2: prize support for, uh,
0: for the Vault Warrior tournament.
2: Damn it. You caught me. (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs>
2: <laughs> uh, so i made all the ads for that and i was i was very much in the thick of things for doing that because we were trying to figure out the cities and where it was going to be feasible to send the live streaming stuff that we were doing for ffg live was made into a, a a transportable thing so it would have been me going to miami and stuff like that you will notice how quickly vault warrior quit being talked about Oh Yes. Um, <laughs> So Vault Warrior was proposed under uh, the VP of marketing, who then was let go unceremoniously. And then that's where Vault Warrior died. Mm, I see. Uh, I, none of the CEOs and higher-ups were really a fan of it, especially handing out $250,000. That's so much money. It's like, not really. <laughs> not in a marketing sense. But uh, yeah, it was an unpopular opinion with, uh, you know, like Stefan. at head of asmodee and even steve horvath at fantasy flight um they didn't say that but you could tell yeah yeah the
1: marketing campaign looked great though so so good job there ryan
0: (laughs) i see yeah it can often be the case that uh, a big initiative you know in this case vault warrior can be the championed by a person in particular and uh uh, if there's not support generated outside of that, um, yeah, if that person moves on, that initiative might not get the support it saw for sure.
2: Absolutely, absolutely. And I'm not sure if it was Cold Feet or if they just decided that, man, this is too much money for us. A, for a, I mean, everybody assumes Fantasy Flight is this massive thing mm. and they are big. You can look at the footprint at Gen Con. They are big, um, but we, they still don't have the sort of, backing and numbers that magic pulls in. For so sure. it was kind of a gamble. I, I think it could have been great, but it also it also could have failed. Like it was it was a gamble. I would love to see them try it again.
0: True. Uh I I would too. Uh not that I not well, if there's any episode <laughs> uh we actually might get people uh outside of just regular Keyforge fans listening to it, it's this one. Um but I, I think it was a worthy gamble because there's an old uh it's not even an old saying it's just the concept that um you need to like incentivize people for what you want them to do right yes like, like if you're just hoping the people will do the right thing for your goal whether that's business or leadership or whatever um you can hope and you can get good people um but if you pay people then uh, if you put throw money around, people will pay attention. It's just simply human nature. So I think putting up an amount of money that, you know, you only bet what you can afford to lose, right? Putting it, but putting up an amount of money that's going to make a few headlines um, and draw a big crowd uh, will get people charged up about Key Forge because um, from my understanding, it's half by accident, but Key Forge has actually held up at a higher end competitive level, uh, in a way that I don't think was completely planned for from talking with some lead designers and Richard Garfield, even on this podcast. Oh, absolutely. Um, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, I, I think, I think it's worth the shot for whatever, uh, this little, my, my meager opinion is worth.
2: <laughs> no, I mean, you're not wrong. They, they were some very large, um, hurdles to overcome with how the game was going to function. Like were were people going to want to buy a game and a deck they can't alter. Fantasy Flight at the time that they were making it, it was a great idea and you know Netrunner was dead uh because they couldn't get the license back. Um and they were looking just for the next competitive thing. I don't think they expected it to be as popular as it got with like magic players. Because they started noticing that yeah. Magic tournaments, people were breaking out Keyforge decks in between their matches and just kicking down 10 minutes of Keyforge. And it's like, <laughs> huh, they like it. <laughs> so then they started coming up with like weird ideas for things. And one of my favorite was if you have a deck that absolutely sucks and cannot win, force your opponent to play it against you and you play their crappy deck. And that was. People who haven't attempted that need to attempt that because it's. It's the most infuriating yet yet uh, satisfying if you can pull a win out with this deck that just is horrible. <laughs> <laughs> that oh, might sure. be my favorite way to play Keyforge, honestly. <laughs> it,
1: it's a very Keyforge way to play Keyforge, isn't it, really?
2: Yeah, yeah. You're like <laughs> you know, 30 minutes into it, it's like, I haven't even forged a key yet, and then the opponent just wins all of a sudden. Like, how did that happen? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, it, I, I knew- yeah.
0: Finding Joy and Misery is the name of the game with Reversal. That's for sure. That's yeah. That's for sure. True. Yeah,
2: I, I have my my super competitive decks. I haven't played in a while. I just play against myself sometimes. But, you know, I got my, like, 91 SAS scored deck that I love playing, which is actually from uh, the set where the dinos are introduced, Saurians.
0: Oh, Worlds Collide, for sure. Worlds,
2: I cannot... Find somebody who can beat that deck. That deck is great. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. Oh my
2: god, the naming structure—that was some of the funnest stuff. The some of the names out there that uh, shouldn't exist <laughs> 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 that yeah, accidentally uh, got printed are fantastic.
0: Yeah, a number of those, a number of those of those were very interesting. And uh, uh, Richard Garfield had mentioned that the naming was. Probably one of his absolutely favorite parts uh, of the entire process was working on the naming system for KeyForge.
2: There were the one that sticks in my head because they they had to sit down and write a second algorithm that would put names. So you know some words end in ism or ing. uh, You know to to you know English language, right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) I don't know what that's called. I know somewhere out there is is what you know we gave it the word race and one of the decks printed was like the farmer of racism
0: oh yes that was one of the ones that uh, made the rounds uh, that that deck's archon card was the the header yeah. image on a number of of blogs covering uh, covering that that's for yeah, sure yeah
2: we, we could go back and look at some of the really bad ones because you know they as it was printed it populated a database for us there is one that's a lot worse that i'll let you guys find because i honestly don't remember the name of it in its entirety but thank god it has not been found Oh, Um, Oh, like it's it's bad it's real bad (laughs) and it's a complete mistake of how the words were supposed to be put together um and just okay
1: so the algorithm just wasn't working as it should have been, and that's how it enabled these things to go wrong.
2: Yeah, that's how like racism, like you, you know, like how Race racism plus-ism. made it into because yeah. racing, racer, uh, right? But then all of a sudden there was like racist. I'm like no, <laughs> right, right. That can't happen. I, I feel like this is Not a reverse great-able.
0: Charlie and the Chocolate Factory where there's a golden ticket out there, except it's a deck with the most offensive wrong name somewhere in a Coda first edition print run. <laughs>
2: Yeah, the the one they find it, I don't even want to allude to what it is, oh, but you'll please. know. If, yeah. if somebody opens it, they'll be like, oh, dear God, how did this happen?
1: <laughs> oh, no. Oh,
2: they might have actually, actually been able to kill it. I know my boss at the time, he literally had to sit down with the list of like 30,000 of the original print run. And he found like 10, like these can never come to the wild. They might've opened all those packs and took it out of circulation for all I know. Mm. Uh, You know, just open the boxes until they found it and then put the little security sticker back on in the factory.
1: Some poor intern's job. (laughs) Six months of opening keyboard (laughs) snacks to see if they have (laughs) problematic names.
2: You know what? The funny (laughs) thing is it's not interns. It was the employees doing it. Oh (laughs) no. something happened with one of the games that it wasn't KeyForge, sadly, where it was going to be sold in target. So they wanted a target sticker on it. So we put target stickers on all the packaging and then they were mad because it was on the plastic that could be peeled off. So they had to unpackage it, put a sticker on and then shrink wrap Uh... everything again.
0: FFG and target not. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just remembering the worlds collide early release in uh, the, the same store. My goodness.
2: Yeah, Target, uh, I think Target just has too many moving parts. Mm. It's such a big thing. And then of course. they desperately want into the hobby game market, but they're not quite sure what it is because I can't even explain what the hobby game market is to my parents. <laughs> <Like> it's, <laughs> it's such a unique beast. It was so fun being part of it for 10 years.
0: Of course. So Ryan, uh, was there anything else you wanted to cover about your time uh at FFG that you that you think would be good for especially fans of Keyforge to know just about FFG the company or how the parent companies are affecting it um that would just factor into to how we think about how we think about Keyforge as we as we wait for it to come back.
2: Yeah, um all the employees those of us who were the creators, whether that be visual media or a card game designer or board game designer, um, there's some of the nicest, hardest working people I know. Mm. And I feel blessed to have worked alongside people like, uh, Kara who, uh,
0: uh, well, all you have to remember about Kara is Descent Legends of the Dark.
2: <laughs> yes. Yes. No, Kara, she worked on that and we worked together on some like Arkham stuff and working with MJ and working with Caleb Grace and and the marketing people and, you know, Corey Konetska before he started, uh, you know, his new little game company under the Azuray Br- banner and the people who worked with Z-Man who were technically across the parking lot from us. Um Man, those people are some of the best people you can meet, some of the best friends I still have. Um, the problem comes in with middle and upper management. It, it, is, it is a business to them, and the rest of us wanted it to be entertainment first. And a lot of it came down to dollar first, which is why the death of games like you know, Destiny um, it just wasn't profitable. Disney couldn't mm-hmm. figure out how to sell it in their parks, I don't think. Um, it's a hard, it's a cutthroat market. You just have to look at Kickstarter to know how difficult of a market it is, let alone how many board games are put out every single year, like a thousand. Who's got time to play all the, even the Dice Tower guys can't, <laughs> can't keep up with how fast board games come out. That's right. So, so everybody listening at home, trust me when I was still there and I have no reason to doubt this, everybody working on Key Forge is working just as hard as they always were but you're getting caught up in production issues because of COVID and then upper management issues for profitability. I'm sure that's what it is. I can't 100%, but it's a pretty good educated guess, I would assume.
0: For sure. And that's a, that lines up with something I've guessed at before, which is so it's good for it to hear you say because there was that uh, one business quarter when uh, Key Forge, by some metric, uh, outsold Yu-Gi-Oh!, So, you know, it's got, I I would assume it gets the attention, you know, of, of the money counters of the bean counters, uh, simply be because of that. And if it's got decent margins, then hopefully, hopefully that means it can, uh, fire in all cylinders from, you know, the, the creatives like, uh, like you mentioned who love it, uh, to the, to the bean counters to say, yes, this is enough beans. Let's keep going with KeyForge.
2: Yeah. I remember that quarter at beat Yu-Gi-Oh, we were all floored that people served. I was just like, wait, we, wait, what? We're number three? How in the heck do we have a game that's number three? Right. Um, and I put that down to the, I love deck building. I still play Netrunner. I still play Destiny. Um, if somebody wants to break out their Arkham Horror LCG, I will gladly play it. But my gosh, just picking up KeyForge and not having to worry about deck building. It's just I just want to play a 20-minute game. Like, this game is amazing. <laughs> like, I want to play it. It's, um, it's a 20 yeah.
0: minute game without deck building that is still a deeply rewarding strategic and tactical or uh, strategic and um, uh, tactical uh, experience.
2: Absolutely. Okay. And its price point, I think, is right.
1: Yeah. Agreed. Yeah. Agreed. That ten pound, Let's hope it's still £10 a deck when it comes back. <laughs>
2: <laughs> See, I have to actually look up how much it was because Fantasy Flight, one of the best bonuses they have is something called Game Bucks and our discount. So every year you got two hundred and fifty dollars worth of game bucks. Free money so you could buy the games that you worked on. Sure thing. But then they gave us Great. a seventy-five percent discount. <laughs> so like, oh, I wow. have I have hundreds of Keyforge decks that I paid two dollars a deck for. <laughs>
0: Brilliant. Brilliant.
2: Or three dollars a deck for whatever it was.
1: That's amazing. That that that's fantastic. Um Wow. Okay. Game Bucks. I should get myself a job there.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, there's there's a downside. If you would like to be paid $30,000 under industry standard, that's a great company to work for. Game Bucks does not offset the low pay.
0: <laughs> right. G- game, game Bucks. Uh, I don't think my mortgage company takes the currency Game Bucks.
2: <laughs> that is not, a, well, I am going to fault Asmode and Fantasy Flight for paying so ungodly little. It is systemic to the entire board game industry. Mm, That industry needs to pay its people. Um, It's pretty horrible no matter what game company you're at.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I I could see that. I could see that. Um, It's just
1: sad because it doesn't attract creatives to to kind of really look to play in that space and stay in that space. And um, Yeah. It'd be be nice if people were were very much rewarded, but then I imagine it's probably slightly less lucrative than than video games and, and other things as well.
2: Yeah, yeah, but I mean, it, it's it shouldn't. They were losing. I don't think there's any ten year veterans left. We all left. Wow. Um, I mean, you're talking a ten year veteran who only makes fifty one thousand, which is a joke
0: yes one of the one of the writers uh one of the f f g writers tweeted some salary transparency maybe a year or two ago and uh and i believe he at the time of tweeting had been there sixteen years and was making uh fifty thousand which is um as far as a, just a number of industries that he could have spent that time in was um yeah, not 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 competitive. Not
2: competitive. Yeah, it's not competitive at all. I, I I think the biggest thing for your listeners to realize is that Fantasy Flight and Asmodee absolutely deserves all the shit you can give them, but not the employees in the trenches. Sure, um, it's not their fault. <laughs> um, there's so many extenuating circumstances to how the games function, and and the amount of testing that is done is ridiculous uh you know it it does go out to you know outside q a there's inside q a there's there's all the employees just sit around make sure we can't break the game there's a couple employees who sat around specifically to figure out how they could break the game oh Um, of course (laughs) so like it does go through a lot but then again you're talking of a card pool that might only have a thousand cards but can be put together in a billion combinations man you can't catch it all (laughs)
1: Yeah, yeah, it is an impossible task and a brand new task, lest we forget, that no one had ever, ever tackled before for KeyForge. Forge. Um, and, and Zach and I have interviewed a good few of the FFG employees on here and every single person we spoke to, their passion for the game, for the games that they've worked on there, um, their their enjoyment with collaborating with the colleagues that they work with day to day in those trenches it is clear, is really clear. So um, all, all, all Zach and I are doing at the moment is uh, uh, patiently and very patiently, I think, you know, because there's no rush on on creativity, particularly after what everyone's gone through um, waiting for uh, to see what what exciting adventures they they let us all embark on next.
2: Oh, yeah. And, and working there, like like you just said, I got to work with Star Wars and and make videos for Star Wars. And I got to work with Game of Thrones and I got to work with with uh, 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 Lord of the Rings, the, the Lord of the Rings app that the Lord of the Rings LCG digital card game. There's that map in there. I got to draw that map. Oh, cool. Um, which is like, So I'm like one of the few, few, uh, like officially Middle Earth Enterprises map artists, which is insane wow. to me. That's, that's <laughs> fascinating. That's fascinating. Um, And it was an accident like i was drawing the map for this digital app and then the graphic designers are like well how big did you draw that i was like i don't know like 300 dpi 4,000, 4 4k and they're like that's big enough to print i'm like what i didn't (laughs) i'm the video guy i'm not supposed to be a graphic designer (laughs) but all of a sudden they made play mats out of it and everything else and like all of a sudden i was embarrassed um Cause like the first few plants, so I'm going to Here here's something for you, a little insider information. As I mentioned earlier in the interview, I, my first project was, Hey, that's my fish, the iOS app. Um, that penguin is hidden in every app. <laughs> oh, <laughs> because, I put him, because I put him there. <laughs> he's in, wow. he's in all of the, every expansion for elder sign omens. Uh, with the most obvious one being the Ithaqua. No, not Ithaqua. The one where you go to Egypt. You, mm-hmm. get oh, companions, yeah. you get companions in a widget on the upper right of the screen, and one of the hieroglyphics in there is the hey, that's my fish penguin. Wow. <laughs> um, I hit him carved into the back of the lighthouse in Battle Lore Command. <laughs> he he was in the original x-wing squad builder app like, totally oh,
1: i love the idea of a penguin The uh, penguin an
0: r2 unit in the x-wing in the background
2: <laughs> Man, i kept my mouth hit and shut on that one and then all of a sudden people at work started like wait what is that Ryan?" <laughs> <laughs> <What>? <laughs> that's
0: amazing he's uh unreal. my uh, Ryan, did you ever have your your likeness put on uh, art for a board game or card game?
2: I did Um, so that's a perk of five years and I I am in Netrunner, uh, Criminal Faction and the card is called Hot Pursuit
0: Oh, that's fascinating, I'm actually familiar with that card
2: as a former Netrunner player. Make a run on HQ if successful gain nine credits and take a tag and it's a two cost event (laughs) I still make netrunner decks, so and that one ends up in all my criminal decks. I'll, I'm a shaper, though. I like shaper
0: for sure, for sure. Uh, dear listener, I'm looking at the card right now. I don't have video up on Ryan, but I've got the hot pursuit up, uh, the hot pursuit card up, so I can say verifiably he is handsome on a motorcycle. Uh, <laughs> the signature penguin, the signature penguin is on the front of the motorcycle, having the time of its life. No,
2: at well. one point we. At one point in time in Netrunner, when Dinosaurus first originally rotated out for uh, competitive play, they were working on making the Penguin into Dinosaurus's uh, companion council. Wow. And I think that was at the end of the life cycle. So I think my card is the only one where he ended up showing up. But he was supposed to be a, a council to replace Dinosaurus for Chaos Theory. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Oh, fascinating. fascinating! Told you, i talked
2: to my, well, a lot of people. Didn't figure out, you know, going into like another not keyforge game, but like originally when X-wing was first put out, they don't do this anymore. But you knew what the next wave of ships were because they were the background ships in the artwork.
0: Ah, hmm. for sure, for sure. People
2: started picking up on that, so they quit doing it. <laughs>
0: Ryan uh we just wanna thank you so much for uh just giving your time to come on and talk about uh your experience at f f g and just some background info on on the happenings there um so uh yeah, thank you so much for your time and we we appreciate you coming on
2: uh thank you, zach and ed for having me it's it's like i said at the beginning, it's very weird being the person answering questions and not asking them <laughs> or not being the person behind the camera that nobody ever sees, which is my preferred. Um, but yeah, I'm super happy that people are still playing KeyForge. I still love KeyForge, and I'm you know happy to share what limited knowledge I had of of where it is in the world today.
0: Of course, fantastic. In lieu of our longer outro, dear listener, given the circumstances, uh, we'll just summarize and say, don't worry. The staff at FFG, at the very least, are in hot pursuit of an amazing future for KeyForge, and thank you for listening. Have you answered the call of discovery?